Thank you for joining us for the last week in our series about relationships. Now today we're gonna to be talking about marriage. Now some of you might be excited for us to talk about this topic. You've been waiting this entire series to get here because you wanna know what you can learn about your marriage. Maybe you're interested in, in hearing how you can get to a place where you can be married and how you can make that marriage God-centered. Others of you, you might actually just be dreading this topic. Your marriage is struggling, and you don't need someone else telling you how to make your marriage work. You may not even be married, and you're thinking, here's another person telling me how great marriage is. Listen, wherever you are on this spectrum, good, bad, or in the middle, I think it's pretty safe to say that marriage is a loaded topic. Do you know how I know this is a loaded topic? Just go to any bookstore and you're bound to find an entire section of books dedicated to how to improve your marriage. I mean, I did an Amazon search under books and I got over 60,000 results of books on marriage. Here's just a few of the titles that I found. How to improve your marriage without talking about it. Seriously? You're not gonna talk about it? I mean, honestly, I just wanna read this book just to figure out how not talking will make your marriage better. Here's another one, marriage rules. This one's misleading. I don't understand if they're saying that like, marriage rules, or they're telling me that there's a list of rules I'm supposed to follow. Hey, they get really cyber-specific too. Here's another one, the ADHD effect on marriage, or building love together in blended families. And of course, there's all those books on sexual intimacy and marriage, like The Sex-Starved Marriage or Have a New Sex Life by Friday, because your marriage can't wait until Monday. And as believers in God, there are so many of these that are focused on how our faith plays into marriage. Things like The Art of Marriage or Love and Respect, just to name a few. Hear me say this, marriage sells books. And I'm not saying any of these books are bad or good. I actually really haven't read most of them. What I'm saying is that the business of marriage is one that is thriving. Why it thrives is because as broken people, we struggle with the idea of a perfect marriage. We have this expectation that when we get into marriage, then everything's gonna work out and we will live happily ever after. And the reality is, in our country, somewhere between 50 40 to 50% of marriages still end in divorce. That means that almost half of the people who choose to enter into this relationship are going to also choose to end the relationship. Marriage isn't easy. So we look to experts to help us figure this out. And here's the thing, as believers, we talk a lot about marriage. We celebrate marriage and we deal with marriage struggles. We try to lay out the best map for marriage that's successful and one that honors God. But for people in the Western world, we've been sold a narrative of a marriage that is central to who we are. There's statistics that say almost 90% of adults will be married in their life. And so we've bought into this lie that culture has given us, which is marriage is the ultimate prize or an assumed goal for everyone. Now over the last few weeks, we've heard that we're sold this story, that we're not worthy unless we end up in a romantic relationship. 
But we've also heard that this is not what gives you identity. And the big idea from a few weeks back is that every single person is a single person with purpose. Additionally, we as a people need to stop buying into the idea that marriage or romance is the goal of our life. Because here's the issue. When we buy into that lie, and either we don't end up married or our marriages end, then what are we going to do to find our worth? Instead, God has a truth for us that would be far more powerful. God's truth says this. Marriage is a covenant between two imperfect single people with God at the center. Marriage is not the prize. It's a covenant. It's a covenant between two imperfect people. And a covenant, it's just a fancy word for agreement. We're basically saying we're agreeing to be in this relationship. In fact, if you're a fan of math, think of God's marital math like this. One plus one plus one equals one. One whole man, one whole woman, and God, it creates one healthy marriage. And while we like to talk about how marriage makes us one flesh, we need to realize that becoming one with your marriage partner is a lifetime process. So as we talk about marriage, I want you to remember the big idea for today, which is marriage is God's example of oneness. Now in scripture, Paul wrote about this oneness we experience. Now, when Paul was in prison, he, he wrote a letter to a group of believers in the town of Ephesus. And the themes of this letter was that God had restored the relationship of all people to him, and then he was calling us to be united both with him, but also with one another. Paul was challenging these people to be united in their faith. This was a place, Ephesus, of diversity and differing cultures. So Paul knew there was probably going to be some division among the believers. And so he was challenging them to unite together in their belief. Here's what he wrote in chapter 4. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul was challenging them to bear with one another in love and be united. The church was most likely dealing with division and Paul knew they needed to be challenged to bear witness or to show example to the unifying love of Jesus. And the same is true for many of us who are reading this text even today. If we allow Jesus to be the center of our life, then we can begin to let that love shine through as an example for all to see. And therefore, the same is true for our marriages. See, we can demonstrate this idea through the shape of a triangle, where the husband and wife are the bottom two points. And these points of the triangle, they point together to united in a covenant love, a holy soul tie. Assuming both marriage partners are believers, God's at the top of the point of the triangle with each of the members of the marriage connected to God spiritually. In order for the marriage relationship to win, God must be at the center. While the man and woman are united in this covenantal relationship, God still intends to work and grow and cultivate the lives and purposes of both individuals. 
The only way to do that is keeping Christ at the center of the relationship and to be active about it. Now, Paul went further with his letter as he continues on, and he actually begins to unpack how this marriage plays out. Here's what Paul writes later in chapter 5, starting in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of this body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I think this is a passage of Scripture that often gets a lot of time in marriage conversations. Men throw it around saying things like, Look, you're supposed to respect me. That's what it says. And women, they're going to jump on the part that says, Oh yeah, but you're supposed to love me and give up your life for me. And well, these are both true, but they're not meant to be used as cannon fodder in the marriage. Instead, Paul was pointing out a profound truth that often gets overlooked in this passage. In each of these examples, Paul keeps referring back to the church. He says, as the church submits to Christ, or as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, or just as Christ does the church. You see, this passage points to the fact that our marriages are meant to be an example of the love that God has for his people and how they're unified in him. Marriage is God's example of oneness. Marriage reflects oneness. One man, one woman, one marriage, one sexual partner, one flesh, one lifetime to create one picture. As we think about our marriage and how it reflects God, I want to present to you this acronym that might help you remember how you need to be one in your marriage. So the first letter is O, which stands for ownership. we got to acknowledge the ownership of God. God is the owner of our relationship. We own our part of the relationship, but we, can, we can't own up to our portion of the relationship with God at the center. He empowers us to submit to one another. Then there's the N, which stands for nurture. We need to spend time praying, worshiping, serving, and giving because that nurtures or cultivates our relationship with God. We also need to spend time nurturing our spouse through prayer, serving, expressing love, and giving generously to your spouse. And the last one is E. It stands for evolve. Evolving requires growth. 
Growth requires change. Pursue growth in your relationship with God and in your relationship with your spouse. God's plan for marriage is all about oneness, and that's countercultural to the complicated culture structure of marriage that we know. Culture is going to tell us that marriage is about what we get from the relationship. How am I being treated? What's this doing for me? How do I get what I want? But remember, marriage is God's example of oneness. As we become one, marriage, we will also acknowledge that there is importance in pursuing singleness, right? And intentional dating within your marriage. And the divorce rate goes up once kids grow up and leave the house. And why is that? Because that common project that people had that held their marriage together, it's no longer the center of the household. It's important to continuously pursue within the context of your marriage and encourage your spouse to do so as well. Then communicate and build the relationship through intentional dating of your spouse. Listen, I'm married. And I struggle with the realities of marriage in a broken world. I want my way. I want to feel satisfied. I want to be happy. And so this week, Kevin Smith and I, we sat down with two important people in our lives, each of our wives, and we talked with them about what oneness in the marriage really looks like. Take a look. You know, I, I feel like that oneness is this kind of spiritual union that we have, but as we've been talking about in this series, we're also individual people. And so I think the thing that makes it hard is that, for me at least, my selfishness gets in the way a lot. And so to be really good at this oneness thing, there's a level of selflessness that has to come in. And, and that's just hard for, I think, all of us at different seasons to, to really get into. I was 31, 30, 30, 31 before we met, right? Mm -hmm. And so like I'd lived a good portion of my life, my adult life, making decisions for myself, doing my own thing, not having to answer to anybody. So like us getting married, it's hard for me to give up that, right? It was hard. Like I remember we had this moment when we first got married about dinner and how on a certain night of the week, I always wanted to eat the same thing and like do my own thing. I'll make my own dinner. And it was like a fighting point over the silliest thing, but it was about that whole, like, we didn't really understand what it was like to mm -hmm. be a couple making decisions together that do things. So, yeah, I think it is hard to just, because you've got selfish needs, right? You got things that you want to do for yourself and you want time for yourself and you want to make a decision, but you can't make major decisions on your own when you're one with somebody else. True. If I'm thinking about my needs in our marriage, mm -hmm then I'm way more quick to notice where, you, where I feel like you're falling short mm -hmm. on those needs um, or where things that you do that frustrate me or annoy me versus if I'm coming in with a more selfless attitude like you said, Kevin, then those quickly, that's not my focus area mm -hmm. anymore. Yeah. Um, I think I kind of went the like how is when it's hard as far as like just like literally every day like we have a large family, so we're always in different directions and so going to practice or driving school or like there's always something and even Kevin's schedule, he's got meetings or this, that and the other. And when you get home, like we're exhausted. So he's like, I'm gonna take a shower and I'm gonna pass out. And so we're kind of like just two ships passing. And so sometimes it's hard for us to just find 10 minutes um, where we can just sit and be and just say, I just wanna hear what's going on. Like, mm -hmm. what you've been up to? 
you know, honestly, like, I think the one thing that the way I at least try to encourage Pam is, is in letting her discover her own faith, right? Like trying to encourage her to, to make her own path, right? Like to be on her own path in faith. Like it's not the same as mine. I feel like when I am right with God, I'm definitely right with my husband. Like I'm, I'm healthy with that relationship. And so that comes out um, in my in communication with Kevin, with, with my family. Um, but just that feeling of, okay, like I know when I'm anxious or I'm, you know, haven't been reading or praying like I know I should, like that comes out in, in our relationship and either being short or frustrated, like, and I'm like, okay, what's going on? Um, and I, I realized that, man, I just need to slow down, spend some time just me either journaling or, or praying um, and to kind of center myself. And that completely helps my relationship with Kevin. Honestly, any blow up that has happened in our home is never about anything that's happening at home. Like if I'm short with the kids or if I'm short with Katie, it's never about what's happening there. And so it's just for me um, to get recalibrated and recentered and and just like slow down and breathe and allow God's patience and grace to wash over me and just to figure out like how how in my own personal walk I can kind of be in a better place when I walk through that door. I think Katie was talking about like to to make sure that I'm resting in Jesus, that I am spending time in with him, that I'm 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 kind of putting all that anxiety and all that frustration out for him to take care of instead of walking in my house with it is, uh, is really important for me. As I read things and as I have like time to just like pray about and think about things, I think about just our identities, right? And who we are. I think that's just kind of been driven home as we've been kind of focusing in on that at White Oak, even just the idea of like, our marriage being good or perfect doesn't make us good people, doesn't make us happy people. Um, and so when we're having those moments with, when I, when I feel like my relationship with God is stronger and I'm like connecting with Him in more ways, then it helps me to be patient more. Uh, I think it, because I by nature am a worrier. And so if I am not in my Bible regularly, if I am not like connected to God regularly, that worry quickly makes me less grateful for things because I'm focused on mm. the parts that I'm worried about, which in turn end up being the more negative aspects of things, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm not as grateful. Um, I'm more prideful. I'm not having a servant heart about mm. things, right? I'm, I'm more critical. And so all of the, what you guys said, like it brings all of those aspects into our marriage. It brings it into me being a mom. Um, and it's so much easier to give that up when I am reminded of what, how, like you said, what, how God defines me mm -hmm. as, as his daughter mm -hmm. um, is, not, is not by those things. As you can see from the video, we have different views of unity and being one, but in the end, we all have the goal of letting our marriages speak to the oneness that God calls for in our lives with Him. You see, that's because God is giving us the example through our marriage. Marriage is God's example of oneness. God's relationship with His people, that's the real deal. 
And it's ultimately what we are searching for in all of our relational pursuits. The relationship we cultivate with God is a -a one-of-a-kind masterpiece. And marriage is the beautiful copy of this relationship that reveals the image of faithful, sacrificial love. It's a visual representation of Christ's love for the church and for all the world. Remember what we read in the most famous Bible passage. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever should believe in Him will not perish but have eternal life. And here's the truth. What God puts out in the world, that scares the enemy. Satan wants to break this triangle we have with us being together with God at the center. He hates any visual reminder or representation of Christ in the world. So he attempts to divide and conquer this beautiful picture of God's love story for us. He's created a culture that wants to change what marriage means. He's tricked people into believing that marriage is about lust. And what do I get? What do I get? We've bought into this lie that marriage can be whatever we want it to be. If I want an open sexual marriage, then that's okay. If I can have kids, but I have a dysfunctional marriage, that's fine. If I get married and I realize I'm not happy or I'm not being fulfilled in the marriage, then I just have the ability to to end it in divorce. If I just want to live with my boyfriend or girlfriend instead of making a marriage commitment, then we're cool. If I want a same-sex marriage, then society says love is love. Listen, I'm not weighting these lies as worse than each other. Honestly, they're all untrue. If you're struggling with what this means or you have concerns about your relationship, don't be afraid to seek wisdom. Reach out to a friend, someone who's been married. Reach out to me. My door is open. You can email me. I'd be happy to set up some time to meet with you. Listen, some of you are a little uncomfortable right now. Some of you are probably even getting angry. And you might be letting that anger fill your mind. You're upset because I'm here contradicting what you've been told is open-minded and natural. I want you to know that what you're feeling is what the enemy has convinced you is true. Because God had a design for marriage that points people back to the relationship He wants with all of us. He didn't call for us to do what makes us happy. He's called us to love one another out of the love He has for each of us. This is also important as we build up and encourage the next generation. Remember what God's ideal is, is that we should reproduce out of our love, not out of our dysfunction. Your marriage is a witness. It's a visual representation of the love of God through Christ for His people. And people are watching. And here's the truth. True love happens after marriage, not before. Culture likes to preach a different message. Love happens before the act of marriage, when in reality it's more like lust, not love. This is according to God's definition. And that's what motivates us for the next step of marriage. Think about it this way. How much did you love God before you accepted Him as your Lord and Savior? Most of us didn't learn to truly love God until we got into a a covenantal relationship with Him. And once we got into that agreement, into that relationship with God through His grace, 
we started to progress in our, in our relationship of walking in love with Him. True love in marriage is created and forged over time through highs and lows. God's love is an infinite resource that He shares with us and as the third partner in the marriage relationship. And when God is at the center of this relationship, He gives us the power of His love in order to self-sacrifice for the sake of our spouse. His love is what gives us the ability to submit to one another. And so today, I want to challenge everyone who's listening. Some of you are in different places in life, so I want to challenge you just where you are. If you're single, I want you to talk to your married friends and seek wisdom from their experience. Listen, we've said this, marriage is not a guarantee. Additionally, marriage is not something you have to experience to be able to have full life in Jesus. At no point in the scripture did Jesus ever say that for full life, you gotta be married first. In fact, God is calling for each of us individually to be seeking after Him even, even when we're married. Maybe God's plan for your life is for you to be single and happy in that place. But I encourage you to seek the wisdom of people who have made the choice to be married so you can determine the right decision for you. If you're dating, I encourage you to seek out your married friends for mentorship and accountability. When you've made the choice to enter into an emotional, spiritual, and dating relationship, you need the wisdom of people who've been there before. Additionally, you need people who are going to challenge you to make good choices and to be seeking after God individually while growing together. If you're married, take time to reflect on your purpose individually and have a constructive conversation with your spouse on how each person can support each other's goals and journey of self-awareness. Communicate, communicate, communicate. I can't say it enough. Pray with each other. Guys, this is hard for me. I struggle with actually praying with my wife. Start it this week. Then be available to encourage the younger generations in their pursuit of marital bliss. Today, we've been reminded that marriage is God's example of oneness. And throughout this series, we've been challenged to reevaluate and reconsider the relationships we have in our world. The relationships that we have with each other, with our friends, in our singleness, and our dating lives. And so today, as you go out, remember that our ultimate relationship is the one that we have with our good Father in heaven. And He chose to repair that relationship by sending His Son Jesus to die for our sins. If we remember that the love we're given, we will be able to reframe the relationships that we have in our lives.